for the most part, it's really just trying to encourage kids to really get started on using the product. So just trying to improve our onboarding. I would say there's always ways to continue to improve the onboarding. So that's something that we continue to run a lot of experiments on. On the freemium side, we obviously don't offer the live coaching, right? You're listening to the Paris Talks Marketing Podcast, where we interview top marketing leaders at high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. Our goal with this podcast is to cut through the fluff and jargon of digital marketing to reveal what's really working at some of the fastest growing, most successful SaaS companies today. The Paris Talks Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Hop Online, a performance growth marketing agency. If you like this episode, and would like to have a similar conversation with someone at our agency, just go to hop.online, H-O-P.online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, let's get into the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, my guest is Lomit Patel. Lomit is the chief growth officer of Tinker, with 20 years of experience helping startups grow into successful businesses. Lomit has previously played a critical role in scaling growth startups such as Roku, which IPO'd, Trusted ID, which was acquired by Equifax, Texture, acquired by Apple, and IMVU, which is the number two top grossing gaming app. Lomit is a public speaker and author and advisor with numerous accolades and awards throughout his career, including being recognized as a mobile hero by Liftoff. Lumit's book, Lean AI, is part of Eric Reese's best-selling Lean Startup series. So, Lomit, welcome to the show. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Paris. Sure. I think it's really interesting, the transition, the career transition that you have made recently. I understand that you're only about five or six months into your new role at Tinker. What was it about Tinker that got you over there? Why did you decide to make that move? Yeah, I've been at Tinker coming up to just past four months. And the thing that really excited me about Tinker was really the bold mission that they have, which is to try and get every high school student to be exposed to learning to code by 2033. And as everyone knows, you know, the future of work is all around, you know, there's a lot of tech jobs that are really going to be created. So having some way of learning, you know, how code works in that is really a novel mission and something that really excited me, which is why I wanted to join the company to be part of that. Yeah. Do you have any direct experience? To, do you have any kids of your own that, that have learned coding at an early age or have you witnessed it? Yes, I have two kids. And, you know, as I was talking to Tinker, one of the first things I did was my, my younger child, he's 12 and he's kind of right in that sweet age that, you know, a lot of kids that Tinker sort of works with that, you know, excited about learning the product. So I had him try it out. He was kind of my beta tester and I got two thumbs up from him. And that for me was really a good validation because getting him to do anything outside of, you know, just playing regular games has been hard. And so I think what Tinker has done has really gamified the whole experience around to code. Mm. So it doesn't really feel like you actually coding specifically because it made it into a play-based experience. And so that I think is really important. And just knowing how excited it got my son and a lot of his friends that started using the product, it's something that before I joined the company was something that was a great validation. And obviously, since I've joined the company, I've come to realize we have, a, have had over 60 million kids that have used the product and we continue to get so much positive feedback. We have a huge community of kids. So definitely something that once kids get started on using the product, you know, it definitely makes it really easy for them to continue to progress. Mm -hmm. 
And you've been brought in as the chief growth officer. And what are your primary goals now in that role? Uh, obviously, it's to grow the company. And how do you think about growth overall at, at Tinker? Yeah, so my role broadly encompasses everything around growth. So everything from user acquisition, how we acquire customers, how we retain engaged customers, and how we monetize. Tinker's biggest strength has been on the B2B side. We work through over 100,000 schools in over 150 countries worldwide. So we have great relationships working through different school education systems and districts. So that's one way that Tinker's really grown. But the area where primarily a lot of my focus is going to be is growing the direct-to-consumer side. So it's really a home piece of the business. And, so to bring it from and, the classroom and, and into big... the living room, right? Exactly. Yeah. Classroom to the living room. So in terms of the key stakeholders, it's really about trying to influence parents to to really see the value on continuing buying this platform for their kids. Because on the school side, there is a lot that kids learn, but our home product is so much more robust. So it's beyond learning about blog based coding to really elevate to learning code-based languages like Python and Java, how to apply that with AI. We've launched an AI course, things around game design and creating apps and websites. So there's so much more that they can do in terms of taking coding and putting it into practical use cases on the home side. Okay. So the home product is much more robust than the, the school-based product. Initially, are you thinking that you can communicate with the parents of the kids who are already using it in their schools to see if they can take that next step to bring it into the home? Is that part of the strategy to go after those parents first whose kids are already using it in the school? I mean, when people think of businesses like Uber or Lyft, it's kind of like a two-sided marketplace where you have drivers and passengers. With our business, I think of it more like a three-sided marketplace because you have the kids who really are the end users, but the ones that really influence the kids to use it are teachers. So the education, you know, we do a lot of marketing through teachers and then there's parents too that we do a lot of marketing through. But you're right. The low-hanging fruit is really to go after the parents of the kids that are already using this in school. So so getting the distribution for schools is a great way to get kids exposed, where to create a Tinker account. And once they start using Tinker, it's a matter of just creating awareness around, hey, there's more to Tinker than what you're doing at school. And once they start using Tinker outside of school, we have a freemium offering. So, so there's things for kids to get started on using that. But in order for them to use it outside of school, they have to get the parents to verify and validate the account. So with every child account, we naturally connect a parent account to it. And so that way the parent gets the awareness of all the different progression that the child is doing in the Tinker product. Okay. And with any freemium product, the balance is trying to figure out you know, how much friction to put in there, like how much to give away for free and where to sort of expose the paywalls so that once yeah. a child sort of gets enough value out of the product, they will naturally hit a paywall. And at that stage, the parent gets notified that in order to get more usage out of the product, they would need to upgrade into the paid plan. Yeah. I think that's one of the classic dilemmas of SaaS. <laughs> Most SaaS B2B and B2C, they have a freemium or free trial period. And if you're doing free trial, you might wonder, well, how long should the trial be and how many features should we offer during the trial? And then freemium, of course, is, yeah, where do you draw the line? And either you limit certain features or there's a certain amount of things that you can create. And then after that, you have to start paying. How do you all address that today at Tinker? Where is the cutoff line that triggers the payment? Yeah, you know, for us, and I think a lot of businesses that really do this smart really kind of look at the entire user journey to really figure out, you know, people that have really gone through the product 
and end up being your high lifetime value users, what are the behaviors and actions that they generally did that really led them to that? And so when we reverse engineered that user journey, what we came to realize was that there's a series of progressions that we mm-hmm. should implement in the product, which we did last year. And so by creating this clear linear path, like there's step one, step two, step three, and in total, we have over 5,000 different like classes or courses that kids can do at different levels. And so the key thing is to get them to start using the first couple of levels. So that's generally where we find it makes sense to remove any friction to get started, to, to get through a couple of levels, and then to implement the paywall at that stage. Another thing that we get a lot of kids using our product for that is really a popular use case is kids that are really into Minecraft. So they really come into Tinker to do Minecraft mods. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we get a lot of kids that come in to create these Minecraft modifications. And so there's definitely things there that they can get started and start using it, but ultimately to really create the coolest and greatest mods, they'll eventually hit some kind of paywall where they will ultimately become our biggest advocates to their parents, right? That, hey, we love this product and could we upgrade? And in terms of pricing, you know, I think with paywalls, it's all around testing different price points too and and tested you know, we do a lot of like ongoing A-B tests around different price points. But ultimately, where we landed was to really come up with a quarterly plan, an annual plan, and a lifetime plan. And so we try to get parents to pay upfront for either three months, 12 months, or get the lifetime plan. The reason for that is because what we found doing things month to month, like a Netflix, doesn't make a lot of sense because you have to continue to use the product for a certain amount of time to really see the value to get to the next level. And so giving someone just a month isn't necessarily enough time. And so we test different price points. But ultimately, you know, we always try to keep our pricing really competitive. Yeah, that's interesting because if they had an option, maybe a month might even discourage some people or make them quit too soon before they have seen the real progress. What's really interesting is that your end user and your customer are two different people. And that is pretty unique for a SaaS model. And with Minecraft, I think you can attract the kids. I know there are certain limitations, of course, in advertising to kids below a certain age. I think it's 16 on Facebook. Yeah. But most likely, the kids who are really into Minecraft would make an easy crossover into Tinker. And then you've got the parents, and then there's a different communication and marketing approach to the parents, and those are the paying customers. When you think about acquisition marketing, do you think about acquiring parent accounts or kids' accounts? Um, primarily on the paid side, we focus on the parent accounts. We don't really okay. focus on, as, as you mentioned, there's a lot of challenges to target kids, but we've been fortunate. We have a lot of strong awareness amongst kids just based on the broad distribution that we have through schools. So a lot of kids already know about Tinker from school. What we need to do with kids, for the most part, is just to make it easier in the product for them to discover the other part of the product once they start using it. And so we try to do that, make that easier for kids. Plus, you know, a lot of kids, once they start searching, the general use cases in school, when they go to school, he just says, log in to Tinker. A lot of them are going to go and search on Google to find Tinker. When they search for Tinker to log in, they will realize that that point that there's a tinker for fun as well it's not just all about school and there's so much more that they can do and so a lot of kids generally come back to tinker outside of school start using it but in terms of um, paid stuff it's the parents that don't really know about us right so so we focus a lot on social media marketing on google and search to really get the parent accounts because once we get parents to come in they naturally have to add the child anyway so then if the child doesn't know about tinker they will discover it through the parent but generally what we've found 
around mm-hmm. is the majority of parents that end up like creating parent accounts, the kids do know about Tinker. So it's kind of an easy yeah. sell for them. To so maybe the parents easier. often would see an ad and they might even go and ask their kid, uh, hey, have you heard of Tinker? Are you using Tinker in school? The kid will say, yeah, sure am. And I really like it. And then the parent would say, well, we can get an upgraded version of it, or would you be interested in getting it? Is that generally how a kind of a, an onboarding flow yeah, would look yeah, that, like uh, that, at home? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's generally the way it works. Mm-hmm. And how geo-targeted is your advertising if there are certain school districts where you've penetrated well and, and it's almost certain that all the kids within a yeah. certain radius are going to be using it? So do you treat those trees differently and do you use different communication message to a, an area where there is already awareness in the classroom versus another area where you might not have penetration in that school district or that city or the state and you take a different approach? Yeah, and you bring up a really good point there that, you know, before I started, for the most part, a lot of our advertising was pretty similar across the board, which didn't make a lot of sense. And what we've started doing is identifying two different types of school users. There's one school users, which are schools that really pay us for our product. And so there's another side of the school business where we subsidize a product and give it away for free as part of a mission to really help teachers and kids that come from school districts, which don't really have the funding to pay for this right now. And Mm so based on those different types of use cases, there's different ads that we try to run. We know generally kids that go to school districts that from affluent areas, their parents have more money. And so it's an easier sell for them, right, to upgrade by the paid product. Kids that kind of go to schools where they may not have those means, try to run different ads there and ideally different forms of discounting that we could try to offer those families mm-hmm. if they're interested in upgrading to Tinker. But the overall story is the way we're trying to do this and we're still working on it, but and this is where we're trying to bring in a lot more AI and automation because we do have, you know, one of the first things that did come in here is we had a lot of great data, but we're trying to change sort of put the data into a place like a customer data platform where you can start turning it into insights a lot quicker. So getting that data to sort of work for us. There's no point just having data when you can't really do data-driven decisions. And so out of the data, we break that data up into different user segments and creating these like templates of different ads that we run, for example, on social media, where we have like headlines and we have images and call to actions. And those are dynamic based on where those ads are being served. And it's being sort of pulled based on the user data that we have on users. So we try to, you know, it's getting a lot harder to build really good lookalikes on first party data. So one of the things we try to do, and and I've done this previously at other companies, was even before a lot of these changes come is to try and figure out you know, when you look at your first party data, what are the true contextual signals around behaviors and interests that you could target on, even if you didn't have that first party data? And so try to build profiles of different users based on different journeys, based on different stages of the user journey. Because there's there's either parents who know about Tinker or have kids that go to schools that use Tinker, or you have parents who don't know about Tinker and, and the kids don't go to school that use Tinker. And so there's different messages that need to be sort of tested for each of those types of different segments. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, with a product like Tinker, you're not going to get people that are going to come on the first visit and purchase, right? So there's a bit of a considered especially with parents, it's like when they know about it, they're probably going to have a discussion with their spouse and with their kids. And so what we try to do is we try to come up with a different user journey on the retargeting side as well. Like once, like when you retarget a lot of parent traffic, because we can identify that, but based on, you know, 
it's their first time coming to Tinker or their second time. We try to come up with a series of different messages, which is more around the benefits of coding. So we do a lot of content around the benefits of coding, mm -hmm. as well as talking about different success stories of what other kids who are using Tinker and the success that they're having. And I think it ultimately comes down to, because being a parent myself, I can relate to people t telling me about kids you know, that are 12 or 16, which are my kids. But yeah, I'm less interested in knowing about a kid that's around five or six or seven years old now, because I don't have kids at that age. So, so we need to really break down the stories we tell based on potentially the age of the child that we know, because we get that information based on the type of targeting that we try to do on the parent, as well as, you know, once a parent does create an account, we naturally start creating a hypothesis around, okay, if their child is six years old, three years ago, then they're going to be nine years now, right? So we try to create different types of um, mm -hmm. messaging that makes it more relevant. Yeah. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, a performance marketing agency focused on high-growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P, dot online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. One thing I was going to say that I did come in here, you know, just piggybacking off the whole SaaS model, one of the things that I found personally frustrating just looking at user research, it's getting kids started on the product because parents just don't have a lot of time. I mean, parents are super busy. There's a lot of things going on. So parents that come from the background, knowing tech, being engineers, they, for the most part, have the patience to get the kids started. But a lot of the parents that we've been trying to attract into the product are non-techie or parents that don't come from the teaching background. And so that's where we came up with this idea. And that really makes us unique in the marketplace is to offer two free live coaching sessions with every paid Tinker plan. And so the idea there, it's kind of using the SaaS where you have a customer success manager. So yeah. every every parent that buys the plan doesn't have to worry about how am I going to get my kids excited to use this. So we have live coaches that work with them and get, get them started. And what we found is providing that level of handholding early on in the process just leads to better retention and engagement because the child gets more excited, knows how to use the product, sees the value pretty quickly on, on doing it. And so that's an offering that really makes us unique in the marketplace right now is the hybrid learning. So we have self paced learning where kids can, you know, there's certain kids who are really motivated and will learn and do it by themselves outside of school. But then you've got the other kids who can have that coach to work with. And so we offer the hybrid, the bundle as well, and just makes it, it ensures that at least for the parent, because they will get all these progress reports to know how the kid is doing, but it really just ensures that there's no pressure on the parents to continue to motivate the child to learn mm -hmm. to code. Are those coaching sessions typically done with the parent and the child together? So typically, no, it's just a child. When we start off, you know, we try to have the parent there for the first maybe one or two sessions so the parent knows what's going on. But after that, what we try to do is have the child 
because by then the child, it's basically a tutor, but it's like an online tutor versus, you know, an offline tutor. So the child has that relationship and the parent has access to getting progress reports and updates from the tutor on how the child is doing. Gotcha. And is that some KPI that you measure in, in acquisition marketing or performance marketing where you look at how many of the new users are opting in for that, for the free coaching? Because their probably engagement and lifetime value will be much higher once they have gone through coaching and they've gotten past that initial, they've started the momentum that's required, you know, to get. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really important point. And the most important point is that in order for us to really grow this business, we have to increase our LTV, which gives us the ability to be able to increase the CAC that we can go after acquiring new customers. And so, you know, we definitely measure that because by increasing our LTV, it would enable us to really unlock channels that really have massive reach. For example, we want to try testing TV. Test that we ran in the cinema for the most part was a limited test because it takes a lot of budget to continue those types of tests. And so outside of digital, we have to be able to bring in some of these bigger channels that have bigger footprints like TV, podcasts, and cinema. So in in order for us to do that, it's really important for us to really get this bundle offering to work. And we've modeled in, you know, kind of what our aspirational take rate needs to be to really get that LTV. Gotcha. Let's stay on LTV for a second and LTV and CAC. Are you generally trying to manage a ratio between LTV to CAC? So if you said if LTV can go up, then it also gives you a higher ceiling for CAC. Is it some kind of a ratio? Does LTV need to be a certain multiple of CAC for that to make sense and for you all to keep growing and scaling whatever you're doing? Yeah, I mean, generally, you know, other companies where I've worked at and a tinker too, ideally you want to try to keep a ratio of like three to one. So for example, if your CAC is a hundred bucks, you want to try to get a $300 LTV mm-hmm. on that. So you build in enough margin. But what I would say is because, you know, I worked in gaming previously and that was a super competitive vertical and we were able to have really healthy LTVs there. But a big part of that was to really grow to that by really improving our retention and, and engagement mm-hmm. piece and yeah. coming up with multiple ways to monetize users. At Tinker, we're not going to be running advertising to kids. So that's, you know, we're not going to sell advertising or, or running ads in our products. So the only way we could really increase our LTV was to try and come up with bundled offerings. So one is doing these live class coaching sessions and offering that as an add-on to your subscription. That's one thing. Another area that we're really looking to grow this year is by offering Tinker Camps. So we're going to be launching summer camps for kids, which are virtual, and spring and summer camps. That's that's another program. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, Tinker used to do this a couple of years ago um, and had some success. But now that we want to do it on a much larger scale, so, so we're going to be offering summer camps through a couple of different time zones. So we're going to be doing it in the U.S. and Canada. Then the other market is going to be India as well because we're part of Byjuice now, which is the larger ed tech company. Yeah. And Lomadon, again, on the acquisition side, you've got a media mix that spans across, of course, Google ads and Facebook ads. Maybe TikTok is in the mix. Yeah. How do you think about the media <laughs> mix and how you have a certain budget, you allocate yeah. a portion to Google, a portion to Facebook. Now, at one point you, you say that people, a last click attribution would assume that people come right in and they convert. Yeah. But we know parents need that there's a this is a considered purchase. So parents need multiple touch points. How are you thinking about attribution so that you can design the right media mix and put the right budget into the right places to get the best overall result? 
Yeah, I would say attribution is the big challenge. So a big part of you know our budget right now goes into like Google search. And so for the most part, those are high intent users, right? Either mm-hmm. if they're searching on our branded terms or if they're, t- if they're searching on non-branded. The reason why we're spending more on that is because we're continuing to improve our SEO and, you know, until we can get super high positions on those non-branded terms you want to show up on, we have to compensate with paid, right? And so for the most part, generally what we find is anyone either coming through Google or coming through Facebook, how long is that time frame? And generally it falls within like 15 days. If somebody visits from one of those channels, we know they're either going to create an account. And then once they create an account, we've kind of predicted out how long it would take from creating an account for once they connect a child to the account for a child to start using the product, how long it will take before they end up converting from a freemium to a premium product. And so mm-hmm. all in all, we've sort of come up with an attribution window. And it's clearly an attribution window for a registration it has to happen within the 15-day period. An attribution window for somebody to start using product within the 30-day period. And, and, and that we're trying to shorten with the live coaching too, because we know that by offering the two free live coaching sessions, there's a certain time frame they have to redeem that. So that gets kids started a lot on that okay. product. And once they start using the product, we know for the most part, they will see pretty good value. They'll generally hit that wall either between like 30 to 45 days, depending on how often they, they're using it. But Generally, we're pretty confident that we'll be able to convert someone within a 90-day window. Yeah, once mm-hmm. once they've been exposed to Tinker. Yeah. So this concept of time to value is very important for yeah. you all. If you can accelerate yes. the time to value by offering the free coaching sessions, which expire after a certain period of time, you're really accelerating. You're accelerating the onboarding, and and really, I think you're improving the retention rates by doing that. Because I, I assume without that there'd be a lot of signups that never move to step two. And then you have a lot of dormant accounts of freemium users that are kind of sitting there. And what is a healthy ratio for you all of freemium to paid in terms of the user base? Are you, are you looking to get that to a certain ratio? So I would say, you know, the majority of people are going to be freemium users for us. Um, that just tends to be the lion's share in terms of how a lot of people get started. What we are trying to do is really increase the conversion rate of freemium into paid. And so that's the ratio and conversion rate that we try to sort of focus more on. What we find is for the most part, it's really just trying to encourage kids to really get started on using the product. So just trying to improve our onboarding. I would say there's always ways to continue to improve the onboarding. So that's something that we continue to run a lot of experiments on. On the freemium side, we obviously don't offer the live coaching, right? But um, there's other things we can kind of build into the product to just make it a little bit more intuitive to get kids started. So CRM and user journeys through CRM is really important for us to really help progress people along into knowing how to use a product, giving tips and tricks on how to get started. And then we try to do some of these things where we have a huge community. So, you know, we try to get people to connect into the community because they get a lot of encouragement and inspiration from just seeing what other kids are doing. I would say the bottom line to really get a kid excited about using Tinker or their parents is to show them the inspiration of what other kids that have started using Tinker at a similar juncture within like, you know, a month, two months or three months and what they've been able to achieve as long as they've stayed the course. 
and just sharing those stories and just getting, for the most part, kids are very social and supportive. And, you know, we have a really vibrant community that is just open to sharing about all their different projects and what they're doing and encouraging one another. And it's really just getting them plugged into that community and, and getting parents plugged into ultimately what's possible if they continue to encourage their children to use Tinker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, a simple analogy, it's like going to the gym. You're not going to see the progress in the first month, but if you continue to keep doing and keep showing up, you'll start seeing it out after a couple yeah. of months, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I have to ask this. Do you all have TikTok ads in the mix yet for Tinker? We did test TikTok, but we've moved away from that right now. It, it didn't work that well for us. And I think a big part of that really comes down to with whatever channels that you end up working with, you need to have enough resources to come up with the right creatives that work for those different mediums. <laughs> Based on the way my budget is right now, we're focused more heavily on the Facebook and Google side yeah. until we get our CAC. And once we get our LTV up, then we'll go into some of these other channels again. Yeah, I see. It's a great way to think about it because there's still paid search is still really the highest intent there is. And you probably want to squeeze every drop of opportunity out of that and then start to move up the funnel a little bit. And TikTok is not bottom of the funnel for sure. It's, it's a, an awareness channel. I think there's a huge opportunity for marketers in general to crack this UGC for ads, to be able to create source yeah. through either influencers or, or maybe also customers, or it has to feel like it's coming really authentically from the users and the customers. And I think that's a big challenge. The volume of creative that's needed is massive and has yeah. to be sourced from the community, from the users. Yeah. And it might right. not necessarily I, need I, to be influencers, as long as it's somebody who can create a great video that could be used for ads. Yeah. And so one of the things that we're thinking about here at Tinker is just how, how do we generate more user-generated content? Because we have a lot of creators a lot of kids that are creating all these projects on, on Tinker right now. And what we're trying to figure out is how to take a lot of that great content, which is similar challenge to what I had when I worked mm -hmm. at IMBU. We had a lot of great user-generated content. And the question was, how do we get that, encourage our users to start sharing a lot of that outside of IMBU? And then we would be able to put a lot of paid behind just amplifying a lot of that UCG content. And one thing, and I think similar to like, IMVU is a game and Tinker being like a gamified experience. A lot of people want social validation and social credit for what to become Tinker famous or to become IMVU famous or whatever product you're in. You know, the people that really use your product and create a lot of that content want to get validated to become famous within those platforms. Well, at least that's sort of been my hypothesis. And so I'm mm -hmm. trying to build some kind of program here at Tinker and how can we continue to, mm -hmm. to amplify a lot of that content so we can kind of get the kids that are really spending time and building a lot of great and cool things on Tinker to get that social validation of making them famous within the community so that other kids mm -hmm. can aspire to seeing what they're doing and encourage their parents to really be able to take a look to sort of broadcast a lot of that content through their social channels so other parents get to know about it. That's yeah. the viral loop that we're trying to work on right now. Yeah. In some ways, it sounds a little bit like a Web3 concept where you're finding ways to, not with NFTs or coins or anything, but yeah. you're finding ways to um, give some form of equity to your power users so that they feel even more enthusiastic about sharing and creating content because they feel some kind of an ownership. So if they're getting some kind of points or credits and the social recognition that comes with that, but that's a, yeah. a great idea as well. 
One of the cool things we did actually last year during the FIFA World Cup, because our parent company, Byjuice, was one of the sponsors of the FIFA World Cup. So what we ended up doing with Byjuice is we created the Byjuice Tinker Coding Cup Challenge. And it was pretty much a Coding Cup soccer game where Byjuice had Messi as a spokesperson. So he talked about the benefits of coding and being a lifelong learner. And we had millions of kids come and create this virtual game where they used coding to create a simulation game of three against three. And we created leaderboards across the world and we had prizes. Really a neat experience, which really got a lot of kids sort of playing against each other and winning different prizes. And and that really helped sort of get us exposed organically to a lot of kids outside of the US and people that might have known about Tinker through schools. And to piggyback of things that we're starting to do or we want to do more of is creating these code jam competitions and contests where we'll get a lot of kids within our community to create these different projects. And then we'll have the concept of having the community kind of vote on projects and ones that are most popular would then get sort of reviewed by our internal expert teachers and judges to pick a winner. But the idea Mm -hmm. is that could be another engine to create more user-generated content from Tinker. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much opportunity uh, because the way that people are using the product already lends itself to that user-generated content because they're they're being creative and it's, it's a great opportunity. Well, there's so much more I, I could ask here, and uh, we've covered so much here, Moment. This has been great. Um, is there anything, as we wrap up, is there anything else that I didn't ask you that we haven't covered that you think would benefit our audience? What I would say is, especially now, I mean, going into 2023, there's a big emphasis on trying to sort of be resourceful. So it's all about how can you get more done with less, especially now. And so a big part of that is to really kind of look at how can you leverage technology to help your team to continue to be nimble and still be able to execute as quickly as possible. So the book that I wrote, Lean AI, was really written a couple of years back, but it was really based on that premise of when I actually joined that company, IMBU, there was a lot of manual and inefficient processes, and we had a huge team. And ultimately, the question was, we had great data, but how could we automate the whole process around taking data and turning it into insights and being able to, instead of getting people to adjust bids and budgets across different channels, just automating that through a a machine that really automated the entire process of turning it into thinking like a stockbroker, where different channels were basically like different stocks. And the question was like, when do you actually get in? When do you get out? And so Mm -hmm. instead of giving fixed budgets to Google and Facebook or all these other channels, they all competed for the budget because the machine was just making decisions based on real-time data like, you know, where could you target the right users most efficiently at any given time? What was the right creative ad that you needed to run? And and doing thousands and hundreds and thousands of different permutations of creatives in real time to really mm-hmm. get better at personalization, targeting the right users at the right time through the right channels. And then, you know, once they came into the app, we automated a lot of that onboarding experience. So, so the machine was really able to really identify within 24 to 48 hours, like what's the best way to monetize this user based on how they were interacting in the product and trying to influence them either between one way of monetizing through advertising or the other way through in-app purchases. And so what I would encourage everyone to do is look more into different, mar- you know, ultimately you don't want to build a lot of these systems because a lot of these are now built into a lot of these MarTech 
MarTech stacks, right? So the question is just identifying the right MarTech stack now. And it's worth making that investment now to really figure out what's the right tech stack that you need to be able to continue to have your team be able to execute, to test, learn, and iterate at a much faster scale. I mean, ultimately, the companies that are going to do well because there are companies that will continue to, to do well, even within the economic slowdown, are the ones that will be able to get smarter around just increasing their velocity of learning and, and really just comes down to just running more experiments and getting better insights a lot faster than your competitors. Yeah. Great. Well, this has been fantastic, Lomit, and thanks very much for the time spent. And um, good luck with your journey at Tinker. It sounds really exciting. With the gaming background, I think it's fantastic that you're, I think, getting to follow your heart even more about what you're passionate about, helping these kids create better futures for themselves. And you can apply all of the great experience from your gaming marketing background to this new venture. So I wish you all the best. Thanks, Paris. It was great to be on the show as well. Nice chatting with you. Same. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.